Is the Bible clear? For some people, the answer to that question will be a resounding no. But should that be the answer? Should we think of the Bible as unclear and hard to understand? In the last two episodes of Thinking Theology, we've been looking at the doctrine of the Bible. We've seen that the Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. We've seen that the Bible is authoritative. It is the very words of God that come with the authority of God. This time we're thinking about the clarity of the Bible. Is the Bible clear? Can the Bible be understood? If God is speaking to us in the Bible, can we be sure that we've understood him correctly? Can an infinite God even communicate meaningfully so that finite human beings can understand? How can the Bible be clear when so many people disagree about what it says? And how can the Bible be clear when some parts seem very confusing? Hi, my name's Carl Dernick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, and Bible college lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul addresses the issue of the clarity of God's message about Jesus. He does that by first of all comparing that message of God with the philosophies of his age. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19 to 20, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul says that God's message has made the wisdom of the world look like foolishness. You might think then that the implication of that is that God's message is really, really super complicated and that no one can understand it at all. After all, if the wise people and the teachers and the philosophers can't understand it, then surely nobody else can. But that's not what Paul says. Instead, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The message that Paul brought from God was not a complicated message, a message of human wisdom dressed up in fine, eloquent language. It was a simple message brought in weakness and fear. The great obstacle, according to Paul, is not that the Bible is too complicated, but in fact that the good news about Jesus is too simple. It seems too foolish. It breaks all the rules of human wisdom. But Paul also makes his point about the simplicity of God's message by highlighting the kind of people that the Corinthians were. He says in verse 26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Who were the people who had understood God's message about Jesus? They weren't just the doctors and the lawyers and the university academics or the politicians or the wealthy businessmen. They were the lowly and the despised. They were the simple. In other words, the message of the gospel doesn't require you to be a person of great intellect or a person of great nobility and status or a person of great wealth, because God's plan is to make his incredible wisdom accessible to the least in order to destroy all human pretension. And that idea that the message of the Bible is clear is not just something that we find in the New Testament, but it's true of the Old Testament as well. For instance, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. God's words and ideas are not far off. They aren't expressed in a heavenly language that is beyond us. His words and ideas aren't too difficult or beyond our reach. They're not in heaven and they're not on the far side of the sea. They are near us. That is, God's words are accessible and clear. Or as God says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That is, the words of God in the Bible don't just come to really, really smart people, but they actually take simple people and make them wise. The words of God transform people from simple to wise. As R.C. Sproul rightly asks, what kind of God would reveal his love and redemption in terms so technical and concepts so profound that only an elite core of professional scholars could understand them? No, instead, the message of the Bible, we're told, is very clear. You might remember the words from John Calvin that we met in episode 13. For who even of slight intelligence does not understand that as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus, such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. God is so kind that he speaks to us like a nursing mother speaks to a baby. He speaks to us so that we can understand him. To say that the Bible is clear and that the message of the gospel is clear, though, doesn't mean that all parts of the Bible are equally clear. It doesn't mean that Revelation is as easy to understand as John's Gospel. In fact, the Apostle Peter calls some of Paul's writings hard to understand. There are parts of the Bible that are harder to understand than others. But the central message, the message about Jesus, about salvation, about repentance and faith, about the cross of Jesus, the resurrection, the new birth, the work of the Holy Spirit, that is, the things that we must know in order to be saved, Those things are clear. But while those things are clear, there are also some other things that are difficult to understand and that take time to understand 
and time to learn. Or as is sometimes said, the Bible is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. So the Bible is God's clear words about salvation in Jesus Christ. But why, if the Bible is clear, do so many people misunderstand it? Why are there so many different interpretations? It's worth saying straight up that really there aren't all that many different interpretations. For the most part, most Christians through history have agreed on the basic facts of Christianity and the clear message of the Bible, that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus alone, that Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit make up the Trinity, that Jesus came to earth as a man, that he was fully God and fully man at the same time, and so on and so on. There's really an incredible amount of theological agreement. Nevertheless, there are still lots of people who misunderstand or who distort the true message of the Bible. But why is that? And the answer is that while the Bible is clear, our hearts are not. Back in 1 Corinthians, Paul pointed out that God's plan was to shame the world's wisdom. It wasn't the complexity of God's message that stumped people, but their pride. The wisdom of God seems like utter foolishness to people. But Paul goes even further in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. He says that in our natural state, it's actually impossible for us to understand God's message in the Bible. He writes, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand God's message in the Bible. But not because of the complexity of the message, but because of our hardness of heart. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul describes it in this way. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus says it in perhaps the most powerful way in John 8 when he says to the religious leaders, Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. That is, It's precisely because it is the truth that they don't believe. Their hearts are so predisposed to reject the truth and to believe lies that when Jesus speaks the truth, they can't receive it. The problem is not that the Bible is unclear. Rather, the problem is that our hearts and minds can't grasp the truth because of our sin. The problem, in other words, is not the Bible, but us. It's like someone looking at a picture without their glasses who complains that the picture is blurry. It's not because the picture is actually blurry, but because their eyes are bad. The Bible is clear, but the eyes of our hearts and minds are murky. We like to think of ourselves as impartial judges of truth, but the Bible says that actually we aren't. It says that our minds and our hearts are distorted by our own sin and that we are predisposed to reject the truth about God, even if it's really, really clear. But if the greatest obstacle to understanding is our own hearts and minds, then how can we ever hope to understand the Bible? Again, Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians. He says in chapter 2, verse 10 to 13, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Communication is inherently problematic. If I want to communicate something to you, there are so many points of failure. First of all, I might not actually say what I mean to say. That is, the idea might be clear in my head, but the words I choose to use are not the words that I mean to use. Second, you might mishear the words that I say. It might be a noisy room, or you might get distracted for a second. But even if I use exactly the right words and you hear all of them correctly, you still might misunderstand me. You might not get what I mean to say. And with so many points of potential failure, how can two people ever hope to communicate precisely? That basic concern has led to the movement called postmodernism. Postmodernism believes that a writer communicating effectively to a reader is basically a forlorn hope. Postmoderns believe that a written text can't really be interpreted. Um, That means that people no longer ask, what did the artist or the writer mean by this book or poem or film or artwork? Instead, they ask, what does this mean to me? Ironically, of course, the people who believe that still write books trying to explain their ideas to people, and they still try to communicate their ideas about the emptiness of communication. That's because communication is not nearly as bad as it could be. Conversations, questions and answers, saying the same thing in multiple ways, all those things help to alleviate the possibility of misunderstanding and miscommunication. You can ask, did you mean X? and the other person can reply, no, I meant why. And yet the possibility of misunderstanding and miscommunication still exists. But Paul says that communication between God and us is not like that because we have the Spirit of God. Paul asks the question, how can you really know someone else's thoughts? Paul says, only a person's spirit can know their thoughts clearly and intimately. And that's where Paul's masterstroke comes in. He says, but we have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God searches all things, even, Paul says, the deep things of God, and the Holy Spirit makes them clear to us. The Holy Spirit enables us to grasp what we otherwise couldn't grasp. He can ensure that we understand precisely what we need to understand, precisely what God is saying. As Paul says in verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. We have the inside track. We have the inside track to understanding what is in God's mind because the Spirit of God is in us. Why is the Bible clear to wise and simple people alike despite the hardness of our own hearts? It's because the Holy Spirit makes the Bible make sense He makes the Bible powerful and effective to communicate exactly what he intends to communicate. Of course, there's a few things to say by way of qualification about that. First, 
To say that the Spirit makes the Bible clear is not saying that all of the Bible is immediately clear, as though you could sit down with the Bible, read a verse, and suddenly know what it means, because the Spirit makes everything clear straight away. Reading the Bible is a bit like walking into a dark room after being in the sun. At first, the room seems pitch black, but the longer you stay in the room, the more things become clear, and in fact, the more you wonder how you could ever think that the room had been dark in the first place. You only have to look at the plight of the disciples in the Gospels to realize that slow learning is the hallmark of Christian discipleship. They had Jesus himself teaching them, and he still had to repeat himself over and over again. In God's wisdom, for whatever reason, his plan is still that we learn using the normal human means that he has created. We learn slowly. We need to exert effort. We need to read carefully and prayerfully. We need to reread things. We might get things wrong at first and only later come to understand them better. So to say that the Spirit makes the Bible clear is not saying that all of the Bible is immediately clear when we read it. But second, saying that the Holy Spirit makes the Bible clear is not the same as saying that all you need to understand the Bible is just you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. While it's true that God can use just the Bible and the Holy Spirit, it's clear that's not what Paul had in mind here. In the next two chapters, he goes on to describe the team of gospel workers who had worked hard to explain the gospel to the Corinthians. And chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians shows how the church together is to build each other up in the truth. Jesus spent a great deal of time in his ministry explaining the Old Testament to people. The apostles spent their ministry explaining the Old Testament and the gospel to people. The Bible is full of the Holy Spirit using people to explain the Bible, the words of God to others, so that they can understand. There are two great errors that have often plagued the history of the church. The first is believing that the interpretation of the Bible is locked up with some special few people. That's really the error of the Catholic Church, and in fact the error of most cults. The opposite error is believing that interpretation is exclusively individual. That's the error of much of our Western culture. The 16th century reformers knew that. They rightly trod the middle ground that the Bible itself treads, which is that the interpretation of the Bible is for everyone, but God uses the believing community and teachers and elders, especially in the believing community, to help us to understand and preserve the truth of the gospel. And God doesn't only use the present believing community, the believing community which is alive today, he also uses the believing community from history to help us understand the Bible. Those believers from other times and places help us to see our cultural blind spots and so come to understand the Bible better. It's always a bad sign when someone comes along and says, every other Christian in history has been wrong, but now I've understood the Bible correctly for the first time. It is true that lots of people in history have misunderstood the Bible, 
But it's also true that the Holy Spirit has preserved a faithful community of people all through history who have understood the Bible. So to say that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Bible is not to say that the Bible is always immediately clear, nor is it to say that we only need ourselves and the Holy Spirit and the Bible and that we can shun the Christian community or the Christian past. We need that community of people around us to help us understand the Bible. But finally, if it's our own hearts that make the Bible obscure and it's the Holy Spirit who makes the Bible clear to us, then the key practical application of that truth is that it's not enough for us simply to read the Bible or study the Bible. We also need to pray for God to give us understanding through his Spirit. If we can't understand the Bible without the Spirit, then every time we open the Bible, we ought to be asking God to give us understanding through his Holy Spirit. Is the Bible clear? Yes, the Bible is clear because in it God has stooped to speak to us in a way that we can understand. Can we understand it? Yes, we can understand it because God gives his spirit so that we can understand and receive and trust his words in the Bible. You don't have to be a great Bible scholar or have an incredible intellect. What you need is God's words and God's spirit and the help of God's community, God's people now and throughout history, whom God can use to help you to understand his words. Well, that's it for this episode of Thinking Theology. Next time on Thinking Theology, we'll be thinking about another characteristic of the Bible, that is, the power of the Bible. Please join me then. Thank you.